Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 156 and the very first installation of season eight, um, which is just, you know, it's an amazing feeling to have to know that. I don't know. I started this project in 2019 and have just kept it going and I love it more and more all the time and um, feel braver and bolder about uh, who I'm reaching out to. And um, this is just, this is, I, this is an interview I'm so excited to bring you. I have been watching uh, Dr. Langston Colin Wilkins's work for several years now and have just been kind of waiting for my, my skill set to kind of uh, you know, get to a level that I, that, you know, lets me feel like I can properly interview him. And, um, I was really nervous with this interview, like coming up, I, I, I did this interview in, I think March, um, pretty much right as soon as I was able to like walk again after my knee surgery. Um, and it was one of the first interviews I've done remotely. And certainly the first interview I've done remotely with someone that I didn't already know. Um, I interviewed a couple of college friends remotely at the very beginning of the pandemic and, and have done, you know, one or two others just with old friends. Um, but I'm, I'm just really excited, excited about, uh, I was really excited to do this interview and, and nervous. And, um, I listened back to it like last week and I don't know, it's just, I just really, I feel grateful to Langston for coming on the podcast and, and I just, I, I love this conversation and hearing it back again, got me thinking about all these same, all these, you know, all these topics again in a new way. Um, and I just, I'm just, I'm into it and I hope that you are too. Um, so this season of the podcast will be a little shorter than previous seasons. Um, for those who've been, you know, listening for any length of time, you'll, you'll know this, but for anyone who's new, um, the way the podcast works, I just release episodes the first three Tuesdays of every month. So three, three episodes a month and then, uh, no episodes in December or July. So season, season eight will, uh, will start today and then finish, um, just right before Thanksgiving, I think. Um, and then we'll, I'll be back with season nine, um, in whatever January <laughs> in January. Um, yeah, that's it. Um, hmm. is there anything else I want to say for the top of the season? Just I'm, you know, as always, I'm, I'm uh, grateful to you, whoever you are for being here for listening. Um, and as always, I would love to hear from you if there's anything from this conversation or any episodes that you're listening to that, you know, is just really striking you and, you know, entering your kind of creative mind and, um, just, you know, doing being a part of any changes that you feel like, you know, are happening in your worldview or your mindset or your behaviors, or, um, I'm so curious and, and would love to hear from you. Okay. I think that's it in terms of introduction. Um, I want to tell you a little bit more about Langston now. Okay. So I'm going to read this bio. Langston Colin Wilkins, PhD is a folklorist, ethnomusicologist, and writer based in Madison, Wisconsin. He's currently an assistant professor of folklore and Afro-American studies at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Dr. Wilkins is the author of Welcome to Houston, Hip Hop Heritage in Hustletown, which was released through the University of Illinois Press in August of 
of 2023. I've got a copy on my nightstand. I haven't read it yet, but I can't wait to dig in. Just waiting till I have a little bandwidth. Okay, continuing on. His research interests include African-American folk life, African-American music, urban folklore, car culture, and public folklore. Dr. Wilkins is a native of Houston, Texas, and received his PhD from Indiana University's Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology in 2016. He also holds a master's degree in African-American and African diaspora studies from Indiana University and a Bachelor of Arts in English from the University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Wilkins's work has also appeared in the Journal of Folklore Research, The Washington Post, Houston Chronicle, and several other publications. From 2019 to 2022, Dr. Wilkins served as the director of the Center for Washington Cultural Traditions, a public program that seeks to document and preserve the traditional culture of Washington State. Prior to this, he served the state of Tennessee through positions at the Tennessee Arts Commission and Humanities Tennessee. Dr. Wilkins is currently an executive board member of the American Folklore Society. Um, and you can check the show notes for all of that information, as well as several links to uh, to books and um, just different places you can find Dr. Wilkinson's writing and work. Um, yeah, without further ado, I guess we will dig right in to season eight of the Artifice podcast and to this conversation with Dr. Langston Colin Wilkins. Please enjoy. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Uh, I looked through the, your, your comments, Good. but, um, you know. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, there's no topics that are off limits. I'm just, I'm really interested in you. I've been kind of following you for a couple of years and just have been kind of waiting to, you know, get my remote set up kind of going. Yeah. So, okay, let's dig in. Um, cool. If you have any questions at any time or if you need to like take a break, just let me know. It's easy peasy, okay. very casual. So I love to start by kind of just getting to know like people's child selves. Um, I find that understanding the childhood like helps me ask better questions of like the adult artist sitting in front of me. So um, yeah. tell me what you were like as a creative child. I'd love to hear kind of what you were up to as a little kid and then also kind of what the environment was like. Wow. Yeah, I was a, uh, a a very quiet kid. Uh, that that's very true, and that that remains true. I grew up in a creative household. I'll say that. Tell um, me everything. Yeah, yeah. My dad was a uh, he was a creative in many different mediums. Um, you know, he had, he got his degree in theater. Cool. <clears throat> from Texas Southern University uh, in the early '90s when I was a kid, and so. You know, I grew up in that kind of culture, a, a space of literature and theater. Wow. Uh, he was a big music fan, so I was surrounded by music, which I think sparked my interest yeah. in covering music and writing about music. So it was absolutely a, a creative household. You know, I was able to really be as free as a kid could be. Um, I didn't awesome. have any, of course, there were rules and, and all that stuff. But, yeah. you know, I was able to explore 
different aspects of my identity and interest pretty freely. And I, you know, I picked up different instruments and put them back down very quickly. Yeah. Tell, tell me more. Like the, what, what instruments did you play? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And let me say I was bad at all of them, but I uh, started with uh, the piano and took that for a while and played the drums a little bit, cool. took guitar lessons. Then eventually I played the trombone for a while until I put that down. So you know, cool. I was able to go back and forth between different things. And my parents, my mom and dad supported everything I was interested in. And That's awesome. it was a very much a, an awesome space to grow up in. And we and we did all that in a deeply working class black neighborhood. In Houston, and, um, right? In, in, Houston? in Houston, Texas. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, there were challenges there. But I felt like, you know, in the household, I was very much protected and supported. Yeah. And it was just a beautiful space to grow up in. I'll say that. Looking back on it, it was awesome. That's great. Did you have um, siblings or do you have siblings? I do. I have a younger sister, Ariel Wilkins, who is a creative herself uh, living in Portland now. She lived in New York for 15 years or so. Uh, She is a visual artist um, who does, you know, works through different mediums. So, yeah, definitely surrounded by art in in different kind of ways. So would you say your primary medium is writing now? Yeah, I would say that my primary medium is both ethnography and writing cool. now. That's what I do. So how did the how did the writing emerge in your childhood? Like were you telling stories? Were you just reading a lot? Like how did you cultivate kind of a love for like language or story or however you think of it? Yeah, mostly through my dad. Uh you know, we were surrounded by not just literature, but, you know, African-American literature. Um, and it, uh, we had a very full library in the house. So once I hit kind of, you know, maybe middle school, I kind of dug into both, you know, reading and thinking about culture and also, you know, hip-hop yeah. culture. That kind of happened at the same time. And so it was mainly through reading authors like Richard Wright and, and James Baldwin and Ralph Ellison and folks like that as a kid that really got me into... Writing, you know, I won't say that I was a kid like really dedicated to writing as a craft, yeah. but at some point I realized that this was the thing that I could be good at. You know, yeah. I've always had an issue where I couldn't, uh, I can't do things that I'm not interested in. Like I struggle if I'm not interested in it, I just really struggle with I it. I have the same, I have the same disease. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. I, I met someone else like that. Cool, cool. Yeah, it's not just me. So yeah, I mean, but writing, I realized I can do this. And so yeah. in school, that's what I like when I had writing assignments. I was good at that. I put my all into those. Everything else just kind of was like blah, yeah. but writing... I realized early on I could do it. You know, it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. So I'm, I'm primarily a musician, but I teach. Mm-hmm. And I think writing is like, writing is a weird word because it means like so many things. I mean, like comedians are writers, composers are writers. And so talking about the origins of these things is like, it's as much like a mental skill as like a, a, a typing skill or like a language skill. Yeah, I would, I would say that's true. And, you know, Writing for me, it's it's it's. I wish I was more disciplined at it. Sure. But really, everything is based on inspiration, and when I feel like writing something, and when I feel like doing it, and when I'm when I'm there, when I'm in that space, it just happens. Yeah. And sometimes it happens on paper, like physical paper. Sometimes it happens on a computer. Oftentimes it's on my phone. But yeah. when it's ready to go, it, it, I just use whatever ve- whatever mediums at hand to yeah, do yeah. it. So yeah. Will you talk with me more about like, so? You know, when I ask about the childhood, like so much there's I just I feel like it's like just fascinating hearing about people's kind of 
early identities sort of forming. I'd love to hear about what it was like, you know, being in a working class neighborhood and also having, you know, it sounds like both of your parents, but you've specifically talked about your dad being like kind of high minded, exploratory, like just talk to me about what that was like for you, like from your perspective as a child. Yeah, I think it was, it was, you know, and again, I didn't realize that I didn't realize this at the time, but it was great, great for me. I think it allowed me early on to really bear witness to all the beautiful art and creativity and culture that was around me because I was always being reminded um, that I'm living in a very rich culture and heritage right there in the neighborhood. Not that, you know, you know, obviously, again, there were certain realities I had to face, but you know, I was really attuned to what was going on, at least culturally early on, because my dad and mom, you know, they were always talking about, oh, you know, I don't know. It wasn't even intentional. I don't think it was just a deep love for African-American culture and not something distant from us, but things that were right there. And it it wasn't even just them. You know, it was uh, my dad's family is Catholic, right? And, and, you know, black Catholicism isn't really a big thing, but there was a rich, rich culture there that I was really attuned to early on from the food to the music to everything. And so I just felt like I grew up in a deeply rich cultural space and my father and mother, you know, because my mom was, uh, she got a degree in in some sort of science. So, you know, she came from that experience. So that was a certain grounding that I had as well. But both of them, allowed me to just really have my eyes always open and be observant. You know, I think that's what I was observant. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I was kind of trying to say before with like writing starts like in observation. And it seems like so I think maybe I I have a question. I'm not sure like Mm -hmm. exactly how to ask it. But thinking about, you know, if you think about how you are seeing the world and then how maybe your classmates or like your neighbors or like the kids you were playing with, were you seeing this as kind of like a were you feeling like more purpose about this idea of like how we're thinking about culture, even as a kid? Oh, that's interesting. You know, I will say my childhood was complicated because while I was living in uh, this black neighborhood, I was going to school in a rich white uh, area. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that experience made me even more aware of culture because there were cultural differences. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I was, you know, firmly recognizing that the way most of my friends early on were living were very different than me and the things that they were talking about and their experiences and their parents, all those things were very different, yeah. not better or worse, just very different. And so I think, yeah, I was, at least from my perspective, I might have been di- thinking about things differently because I was just coming from a different kind of experience than them. I'm sure you were thinking about it differently because of that and also because, you know, you were a young creative and kind yeah, of... Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by these things. Like, you know, I named this podcast Artifice because it's, I say this like nearly every episode, but it's a cool word. And also, yeah. and also I think there's just this, there's like an inherent misunderstanding between like all people just because we have these different experiences and I'm I'm fascinated by artists in particular because I think it's kind of our job to think about that kind of stuff sure and so I imagine artists have kind of unique perspectives that they are maybe more prepared to discuss 
than the general mm-hmm. public, perhaps. But I'm curious, like, in your kind of it, it, those the first memories that you have of kind of being interested in these topics, can you think of like any specific things that you like noticed or like started to care about, like even just as a kid? Like, what what types of things were you like feeling kind of that those nuggets of like passion about? Ooh. Yeah, I think, you know, and I think I can draw a line through my various early interests. And that line would be uh, marginalization yeah. from many different standpoints, um, whether it be, you know, through hip hop, that cultural marginalization that black people always feel right or often feel. But even even within that group, you know, most of the artists I was listening to and and enjoyed, they were, you know, on the more harder end of the spectrum. They were more gangsta. And that's a, a kind of an intracultural marginalization in itself. But even, you know, other uh aspects of culture that I was engaging in, whether it be film or yeah. books or anything, I was just interested in the outsiders, right? Sure. The folks that um, weren't part of the mainstream, the folks who even had ideas and practices and, and things that countered mainstream you know, ideals. So yeah. I was just always interested in the outsiders and how they, even with their modernization and their subjugation, they managed to form deep bonds and deep, deep cultures, right, yeah. that resonated outside of their space. And, you know, obviously I had a, had a really immature mind then, but I think sure. that's what attracted me to the various things. And whenever I write anything, it would be from that yeah. perspective. And that's still true, I guess. I love it. I mean, I think I, I like to ask artists about their childhoods and so many artists will be like, I mean, I was a child and I'm like, yeah, but like a cool, a cool child. <laughs> Like, you know, your, your mind, your mind updates, but like that core, that little core, I feel like I love like tracking it back. Um, yeah, I, you know, I grew up in Mesa, Arizona. My family's Mm. Mormon. I'm not Mormon anymore. Mm -hmm. Actually, I went to the university of North Texas. So I I have a, my mom went there. Oh, really? I have a a master's degree in jazz studies. So, Ah, um, as a, as a little kid, you know, I grew up in a, in an area where, it was really homogenous, like nearly everyone I knew in my entire life until I went to Denton, until I moved to Denton was white. Um, Mm -hmm. there were, there were like five black kids in my high school. And I remember like, you know, obviously my experience is completely different, but just being really drawn to like these, like evidences of people who had a completely different experience from me and just feeling like very curious about it. Um, I don't know what my point is other than that, like that, I think that's why, like, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in your story. Like, what is it, what is it like to be a child that's like, so aware of kind of, I don't know, like feeling like the one that's, that's different in a space. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, it was both a challenge and at the same time, I thought it was pretty awesome. You know, I think even as a kid, I liked just floating through different social spaces and different structures and different things and not really fitting in anywhere. I I really enjoyed that space because I'm naturally a loner. I'm naturally an outsider. And I liked, you know, just, I like being in my own head and creating my own kind of vibe and space. Of course, you know, I mean, especially in high school, you know, I wanted to feel a little cool, you know, I wanted to be part of the cool kids or whatever. And I, and I, I was not, 
Yeah. <laughs> Not in any way. Same. Um, yeah. <laughs> we we all we we are social creatures. I I'm also an introvert, yeah. and I think about this a lot. Like it's a it's a it's a push and pull between like that kind of yeah. introversion and like you need people, you need a network. Yeah. You need yeah. some people, yeah, you know, you um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was, I was, at, but ultimately I was fine, you know, just floating through different spaces and, you know, and home was, you know, my castle, right. And my, uh, refuge and sanctuary. And so I had my own, you know, bedroom where I, you know, really plastered the walls and the whole space with, uh, various aspects of my yeah. identity and interest. And I loved that. Um, so it was, it was, it was okay. I think, you know, High school, really, because um, I went to a very black high school uh, close mm. to my neighborhood. And so it was a very different cultural experience, Good. but one that I think really solidified my interest going forward. Yeah. Right. And so it was it was cool from that angle that I was finally witness to like this incredible black youth culture yeah. that I just thought was super awesome from a subversive and margin, you know, marginalized yeah. standpoint. And so, um, yeah. It was, it was that push and pull. It was complicated, but ultimately yeah. it worked out for me in the future. That's so. amazing. So yeah, even in high school, you're like, you're thinking these like kind of big high minded thoughts. Um, I think I maybe have one more question mm -hmm. about like your childhood and then we can kind of move into college, which I'm, I'm really yeah. interested to Ooh, hear about. Okay. Um, did, so what, which things did you feel creative about like in, in your youth? And it, yeah. you can take that kind of any way, like, it could just be, you know, how you're thinking about people or how you're um, taking in media. But like, you know, it doesn't have to be like a product. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I was creative in many different ways. And it's funny, like I'm only thinking that now as we're talking about this because I didn't really see myself like that. But yeah. I think, you know, early on and, and not to say I was some like, you know, superior like intellect or anything back then. I was really very much just a, a young kid. <laughs> who thought curious, about what young though. kids think about. Certainly yeah, curious. I, yeah. And I think that's very true. I, I think I just was, I'm, I was so interested in people and that sounds so simple, but just, I don't know. I just think, you know, like individuals and communities are so, so deep in ways that we don't even always uh, consider. Yeah. And even in school, middle school, high school, whatever, you know, I was just fascinated by my friends' lives and the teachers' lives, and yeah. I was curious about how they were living, right? Um, yeah. So there, there's that, you know, but at the same time, you know, again, I was a burgeoning, I don't know, intellectual, creative, I, I have no idea, but I was like, I, I tried my best to like read whatever was yeah. at hand, and even the music, all the hip hop and alternative rock that I was listening to, I, you know, I wanted to know everything about it, and I wanted to know, you know, uh, not just from a musical standpoint, but from a cultural standpoint, yeah. I wanted to know where the artists came from, and so then, cool. you know, I think in high school was the first time, like, I really wrote things that I thought were good, yeah. um, and so I think those are different angles I was... I felt creative. And of course I was playing the trombone, um, for a while there, which, you know, was cool. You know, yeah. I did it. Uh, I was all right. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but, but yeah, you know, and, but even in the way I moved through the world, I mean, I felt like I was, I felt confident, uh, early on standing on my own and standing alone in certain things. Yeah. And in high school, again, I went to a super awesome black high school where the, the popular sports were basketball and football and everything, but I played tennis, cool. you know, which I think made me, you know, kind of corny, you know, from, uh, sure. from in the space, but I felt good about it. Cause yeah. I'm like, I'm doing my own thing. I love this idea. Um, I love so, this idea. Yeah. That's, yeah it. that's 
I, I love everything you're saying. I love this idea of like kind of having this feeling of being like a burgeoning intellectual. It's such, I know these things are like yeah. when we think about our teen years, it's like, okay, I didn't, there was so much I didn't know. Like <laughs> yeah. it's kind of embarrassing, but, but also like, I just, I, I love this. Like the idea of a young person just taking the idea of a young person, a child or a teen taking things like so seriously it's just yeah. like there's nothing that will like pull at my heartstrings more than that i think like <laughs> the earnestness of like the yeah. earnestness of like art and curiosity and like trying to get your hands on you know literature that was going to be thought provoking like thinking about the culture i just i love the idea of like a young person being interested in that kind of thing and then going for it like pursuing mm. it that's just i mean i'm sure it feels to you like oh that's just what i was doing but like <laughs> It's, it's, it's great. I mean, from my perspective, and again, like I, I, you know, I grew up in a really, really conservative family that was mm -hmm. very kind of anti curiosity and very kind of anti creativity. And I also was one of these young people that just was so curious and had this creativity that I just didn't know what to do with it and right. was, and still am delighted by ideas that surprised me. So I, I can certainly relate to that. And ha I mean, I'm, I spend, I feel like I'm spending my whole life just trying to like hear like new ideas that make me be like, I've never yeah. thought about that before. So how did you start to, um, how did you start to kind of decide what you wanted to study or like kind of build your, um, you know, kind of build your life? I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, and so I, uh, I, you know, my college years were, all over the place, right? I, you know, leaving high school, I had no idea. That's a lie. I knew what I wanted to do. I, coming out of college, I wanted, I thought I was going to go into business and be sure. like some business major. And, you know, I was majoring in uh, finance initially at the University of Texas. But I got into that and I realized, no, this is, uh, I'm, I'm not interested in, in this at all. I mean, I like money. That's cool. But um, not you know, working with people and helping them make money. No, I'm not interested in that. And math, I just couldn't do it. So yeah. got out of that and I was kind of just wide open, right? And so uh, all I knew, the consistent thing was just my interest in hip hop, you know, in those years. I mean, college is all I really cared about. That's all I sunk my time and money and energy into was, you know, learning about the culture, learning the history, you know, I'm up all night just reading and, and bootlegging music and buying music and doing everything. Yeah. And, you know, and so that was like, you know, that was the foundation probably of, you know, what I'm doing now yeah. is just going all in on that. But in terms of any like formal study or like really like formal consider like considering what my future would look like, I had no clue. How can and you? It kind of happened. Yeah. 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 I, I think I teach college too. And I, right. I think it's ridiculous that we expect 18 year olds to know anything about what they want to do. It's <laughs> crazy. It's insane. Sure. I always just try to tell my students, like the advice I always give to young people is like, try to make decisions that keep more doors open than closed. Like the, the, what else can you do? <laughs> just try. Maybe not, that's what I did. Yeah. yeah. Try not to make choices that close doors and then just proceed mindfully. You know, what else can you try? I love that. Yeah. That's very Thanks. cool. Thank you. I, I try, I try to be you know, try to be like an artful teacher. Like I tell my students, like, you know, we, we're in a building that has fluorescent lighting and it's very, you know, 
was built three years ago yeah. and it's kind of corporate vibes, but like mm-hmm. we, we deserve a dead poet society experience. Like, <laughs> <you know>? yeah, <laughs> it feels like nice. let's try our best, you know, let's um, go outside. <laughs> yeah. Like let's try to kind of really get somewhere together, you know? Um, what was my question? Oh, what did it, what did it feel like to be so interested in hip hop and not really not be making hip hop? Yeah. That's a great quote. Question. It felt fine to me. Good, I, good, uh, good. <laughs> you know, for uh, many, many years there in high school, you know, I would try to figure out which part of hip hop I was going to like, which part of it was going to be my thing. Right. You know, yeah. um, I wrote very, very poor raps early on as far or as early as like, I don't know, middle school, maybe cool. they were garbage. They were horrible. And I knew that early on. Um, tried to DJ a bit. And uh, that was okay. I just could, it just didn't stick for me, you know, and that's still true to this day. I still try a little bit. It just didn't stick. But I think, you know, I was fine being a mega fan and, you know, I tried writing about it as early as high school. Right. So, you know, in my journalism class, I was writing reviews about hip hop and I started a little, um, it wasn't a blog. It was like a newsletter, I guess, back then That's on hip hop. Like in a little high school. zine. Yeah, a little. Yeah, I could call it that. It didn't go anywhere and it didn't last long because, you know, my mind was everywhere. But that was I knew that was the space I was going to occupy. Like you, that's what I could do. That's awesome. Will you tell me, like, I don't know. I really know so embarrassingly little about hip hop. Yeah. I'm sure there's, I mean, I know there's more than you could ever like talk <laughs> about. But maybe if you could just tell me kind of like what like you were interested in or like what, Ooh. what are some of the things that you would want, you know, someone who doesn't know anything to, to know? Yeah. Oh man. Let's see where to start. Whatever, whatever, <laughs> wherever your brain grows is the right answer. Well, you know, I, I will say this, you know, I have two, I'm of two minds when it comes to hip hop, you know, culture, there, there's the one mind where it's definitely a product of, you know, African-American history and culture and the African-American musical legacy. Right. That, that That's one mind. You can you can draw lines from the field hollers and then the blues music and everything yeah. on down to hip hop. That's certainly true. But the way uh, the ways I've consumed hip hop and the people who, you know, put a lot of information into me and taught me and who I've shared music with and everything. That's been such a deeply diverse and rich cultural space made up of all kinds of folks from all kinds of backgrounds. And, you know, so I view hip hop as both a black thing and just this, this beautiful uh, youth culture, youth focused culture, right. That so many different people can participate in, in many different kinds of ways. Right. So there's that. But outside of that, I don't know, you know, at the foundation for me are, you know, is the music, right? And there's no way for me to like even synthesize the various kinds of hip hop I listen to. I know different people have like their one things, but I was always all over the place. I started off with like the super, super gangster stuff because that was like, you know, my punk music. That was the music that I felt like, you know, both offered me a voice in ways that I could not articulate because they, you know, had no filters and no limits. But also, sonically, I just, you know, thought the music was awesome, right? But then as I, you know, got older, I realized that there were artists out there who 
kind of reflected my identity, right, mm-hmm. as sort of a deeply sensitive, because uh, I still am a deeply sensitive black guy, right? Mm-hmm. There were artists who could speak to that. And that really, for a long time, affirmed me and made me feel good, right? And then, you know, uh, I don't know. I, it's hard to even speak to it, but people like to limit what hip hop is, you know. Yeah. Um, well, jazz, jazz on, is the same way. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, I mean, every, yeah, that's happened for a long time. <laughs> everything I don't know about hip hop, I assume yeah. is like similar to how people don't know things about jazz. Like uh, yeah. all, all I can imagine is that it's a similar shape of like completely diverse, like yeah. multifaceted. I, I just don't know enough. But um, but yeah, yeah, it seems like like jazz, it's it it's inextricable from like a culture and sort of like a, yeah. a political or or something like there's meaning behind it. Yeah, deep meaning and the meanings, you know, vary based on the the culture and the people that it emerges from. You know, there's hip hop for everybody, whoever you are and whatever you're into and wherever you come from, there's an artist out there for you. Um, I think the the folks in the mainstream have never represented the diversity that exists in, in, in hip hop in general. And it takes a little bit of digging to find that diversity, but it's firmly there and has always been there. And, you know, that's something that I love to emphasize about hip hop. I tell my students that they're always, uh, you know, they're they're thinking about hip hop as whatever is in the mainstream, you know, often. But I'm like, no, there's this whole social world that's out there that you can engage with, too. So, yeah. Um, So eventually you landed on an English major, right? Oh, yeah, you knew that. Okay, yeah. I, 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 I got your bio. I've oh, been cool. studying. Yeah, I mean, I don't I know did. if I'll remember everything, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. So that was that was by default. Like, so I, uh, again, I went in as a math, finance major. It's not business. Yeah, it's like, what can I do? <laughs> yeah. I know I can read literature, I can synthesize it, and I can write about it. I knew yeah. that early on. Um, I had this teacher in, in high school who was like, well, you know, she was like the young, uh, cool kind of, you know, teacher that people like to look at and listen to and sure. everything, you know, and she, um, you know, I loved her class and she like was the first person outside of my parents to really note like my skill at writing. Right. And so that really stuck with me. And so yeah. when it was time to leave finance, I uh, was like, well, what can I do? Well, I'll just be an English major and thinking that maybe I'll be a lawyer, you know, because that's like the default too. Right. Yeah. And so that's how I landed on on English, and I did get a degree in that. You know, I started as a music major, I, so I got my bachelor's degree in jazz studies, and I mm-hmm. also thought, well, maybe I'll be a lawyer. I think we, I think mm-hmm. we sometimes, I hear this from a lot of young creatives who also are like in, intellectual, who are who are good yeah. students. There's this kind of thing of like, well, maybe I'm not like totally ready to commit to like the arts, but like, where I'm not ready to not. Right. <laughs> we tell ourselves like, cause law school is like one of like the professions, but you don't have to have a specific bachelor's degree. Right. I think that's like the whole thing of it. And it's like, oh, law school is like talking and writing. Like I could do that I, a little bit. I feel like a lot of us kind of go through a, a phase where we're like, yeah, maybe law school. And then we're like, Oh, actually, no, I want to like just be an artist or like kind of, right. um, I, I have one other question. Like mm-hmm. when you're, when you're looking, when you're reading, looking for things to read or looking for things that are going to challenge you, were there specific topics or like what kinds of things were you like, I got to know more about this? Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a few. Yeah. I think, you know, underground street life. I mean, I was always interested in that. 
And, you know, it, that came from both hip hop and the certain, you know, books I was reading early on that uh, detailed that experience. So, you know, even to this day, I'm, you know, in my late 30s and that's like my go to. I'm reading about, you know, um, how people, you know, have to, you know, who people who are in tough situations have to figure out how to not get out of those situations, but just continue living, you know, and so they use whatever is at hand uh, yeah. to make a life. And I think I'm just always interested in that, even beyond the streets. Right. I um, I love reading and, and watching uh, Appalachian, uh, you know, literature and, and film and, you know, music yeah. to some extent. Right. So I'm just always interested in people managing their environments in the best way that I can, even if that sometimes looks dangerous or or antisocial to us they're trying to maintain so i always go there right and you know again i'm a deeply sensitive guy so i I look for things that (laughs) sometimes touch on that right so uh you know stories of families right i I always go there like that's easy for me to read about and or watch or listen to uh, songs about so you know, yeah. So the street stuff, the family stuff, I, you know, both you just, of them speak, speak to my sensitivity. So yeah. I think that's where I go. You want to understand people and peoples. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so, I love I, it. Yeah. I, I really, really relate to that. Like yeah. just a, a feeling of like, what is it like to be you? Like, what is it like yes. to be you? I just, there's, it feels to me like the most obvious thing that life is about. <laughs> like yeah. I could just completely agree. So yeah. I can't even, I was thinking, you know, I was telling my husband last night, like, Oh, I have this mm-hmm. podcast interview. I'm like, I'm nervous about it. I'm really excited. And he was like, well, how do you know about this guy? And I was like, yeah. you know, I can't even remember, but I think mm-hmm. you had written something. It was like right around the beginning of the pandemic mm-hmm. um, that maybe like went viral, a little viral. And I don't, I don't even remember what it was about so much as I just remember the feeling and just thinking like, Hmm. this is like a mind that I just like must know more about. And then like reading more about you and just like seeing like ethnomusicology, uh, like folklore and then like all the, like you have an English degree. Um, I'm, I'm so curious how you kind of like brought all of these things like into your, um, you know, academic life. Like how yeah. did, how did this evolve? Whew, by happenstance. Uh, so yeah, I, I got this English degree and, you know, toward the end, uh, well, before I got the degree, like my senior year of college, I had no idea what was next. I was going to graduate in four years and I knew I didn't want to go to law school, didn't want to be a lawyer. I had figured it out. Yeah. Well, I had interned at a law firm like each summer and uh, I just knew I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And so like, you know, what do I do? And so I was talking to a professor there and, and he suggested, hey, you know, why don't you go to grad school? Yeah. You know, I was doing uh, well in his uh, I think it was a political science class then. And he was like, you know, I can help you get into grad school. You know, I'm like, oh, you sure? Because my grades weren't great because, again, you know, I can only do well in things that I'm really interested in. So if it wasn't uh, like English, I struggled yeah. was your, because I didn't try. Was your mm-hmm. family like a- academic? Like, were, are there college degrees like in your family? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My cool. mom has a degree in, oh, uh, in science. Yeah. My dad has a degree in theater. My, you cool. know, one of my dad's uncles has a Ph.D. Yeah. They, yeah. I mean, it was an educated family. It you was know, precedented um, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. At least in the, in the immediate family, for okay, sure. Cool. Yeah. I mean, there was no uh, confusion about whether I was going to college or not. That was going to sure. happen. Yeah. Was your English degree about anything? Like, did you find that you were kind of like <clears throat> doing all your projects on a certain subject yeah. or? 
Yeah, yeah I, I, I took every single African-American literature class I could at that school. Um, and it, they were all taught by like two different teachers. But every time I could, I could get one, I would sign up for it. So I mainly focused on that. Obviously, like, you know, it was a BA, so I didn't have like an official focus within that major. But um, I leaned heavily toward African-American and, and, and American literature in general, wherever I could. Were you interested in like African studies or specifically African-American? Spe- specifically African-American. Cool. I think, you know, again, I was like really deeply interested in learning about the people who were just around me. Right. Yeah. You know, outside of, you know, my household. But like who like from black, like I just want to know about black people all over this country, you know, and from a historical and current standpoint. And hip hop really, you know, helped me learn a lot because I'm listening to music from everywhere. Right. But, you know, I kind of supported that, supplemented that with the literary focus, um, which, again, you know, really springboarded me into grad school. But cool. yeah, firmly African-American stuff. So um, I, I was reading a little bit about you and like, you know, that you have interest in like the African diaspora. I don't know if you say diaspora, mm-hmm. diaspora how do you say it? I I've like said I'm both. Like, <laughs> I know. I feel so. like I've like heard it both. And I, I like, I was thinking about it this morning and I was like, how do I pronounce this word? I don't know. Yeah. I like suddenly felt like very embarrassed. Um, but so, so specifically to mm-hmm. America and not like in South America or, or. Yeah, no, it, well, it depends. I mean, firm, mostly America, like you the United States. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. obviously though, I, I love, uh, I've developed a love for reggae music, yeah. especially from Jamaica, like, you know, the, the origins. Right. And so much of what I do in terms of, uh, my folklore work and, and, and my ethnomusicology work, all of it, uh, connects back to our West African heritage. So, you know, I, I loved, I make sure to acknowledge that wherever I go. And some of my studies have tapped into that as well. So that's what I kind of mean by the the diaspora. Yeah. So these, these, like this word ethnomusicology, I didn't know that word until I was probably a junior in college in a music degree. Um, (laughs) I, I certainly didn't think of like folklore as being an area of study. How, Mm -hmm. when, when did like those kind of concepts as areas of study, like kind of become something you were aware of? Yeah. So uh, I knew the word folklore, you know, folklore early on uh, in my life because my dad had this big book of African-American folklore on the shelf. So I knew that word and I kind of knew what it meant from a surface standpoint early on. I didn't know, you know, it was a real, I didn't even know what a field of study was back then, but I definitely didn't know that folklore was a field of study until much later. It was when I got into grad school, honestly. So I applied for different grad schools and I got into Indiana University in African-American studies. Cool. And so uh, in my mind, I was going to, you know, study hip hop there. I didn't know exactly what, but that's what I was going there for. And so my first year, like maybe a month in, I connected with some folks from the ethnomusicology, well, folklore and ethnomusicology department who were like, hey, you want to study folklore? I mean, you want to study hip hop? <clears throat> you should be over here with us. Oh. Because this is what we do, right? And I'm like, whoa, what, what is ethnomusicology? And they yeah. were like, you... You know, it's a study of music in culture. You get out there and do ethnography and you study music and you can do that with hip hop. I was like, really? Cool. Let's go. And so I just kind of that's it. how I learned about the field. And that's why, how I learned about, uh, yeah, the discipline and that I could do something with that. It was, it was in grad school already. Cool. Will you tell more, me more about folklore? Like mm-hmm. just what it like, just tell me more. I just, I don't, I, yeah. I mean, I know I like obviously have an idea of what this word means, but specifically yeah. to you. 
Oh yeah. So the word itself, yeah, the discipline itself is so big. It's 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 humongous and and you know has so many points of connection and disconnection. But in terms for me, right? Well, you know what? I actually like use the term folk life a lot more cool. now, um, just because folklore is the study of mostly oral traditions. Okay. Um, you know, of course, storytelling and language and speech and music and things like that, uh, folk tales, right? You know, that, that's like our uh, traditional standard idea of folklore. That, that's what that means. Folk life encompasses um, all kinds of traditional practices mm-hmm. from music, of course, which is one of my focus, but also material culture. So the car culture I study, right? That's cool. a, it, it's a tradition that's been passed down from generation to generation amongst a small group of people. And so that is folk life, you know, something that's traditional, Mm. passed down from generation to generation, something that has circulated and grown within small groups cool. of people, right? And things that are also learned and shared informally. So outside of mm. official schools or repositories or conservatories and things cool. like that. So, so that would be anything like, like a language practices, like behavior, yes. food culture. Yep, all cool. that. Yes. Ugh, I love it. I love it. I, I just like, I don't even know what to ask because like, I just know that I don't know enough to like ask the <laughs> best questions, but like maybe, maybe, maybe what I'll ask is like in this time of your life when you're kind of just in grad school and like your mind is being opened up in a new way, but you're not where you are now, how mm-hmm. did kind of your understanding of like what culture is like, what, like, how did that kind of start to, you know, what, what light bulbs were you having or. Or yeah. what were you like getting revved up about? <clears throat> Ooh, yeah, that's a great question. Well, you know, uh, honestly, for much of that time, I was getting revved up about the same things that I had long been, you know, that had long inspired me. It was just, you know, the the study of hip hop. And, you know, but now, right, I knew I could actually get out there and spend time talking to artists and spend time going to shows and really documenting the culture. And that was like a thing that I could do. Right. And so I think for a long time there in grad school, up until, you know, my last couple of years, that's all I cared about was, excuse me, being able to do that. And I think, you know, just being in class with other awesome people who are studying their own kind of interest in musics, I was able to build off of things that they were doing too. I mean, my friends were studying, you know, old time music in Appalachia or, um, what else? Or, or religious music, right? Yeah. Yeah, All these kind of things. And I'm like, Oh, right. And, you know, and I was able to pull from them Mm -hmm. too. I mean, beyond like the sheer like instruction in the classes and and the readings, I mean, that was all cool. Yeah. Yeah. But it's really just connecting with people who, who were deeply interested in their own cultures and musics. That's, you know, what fed into me. That's amazing. I I couldn't agree more. Like, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like this, this podcast, like Mm -hmm. this project for me is so much a similar type of thing. Like just what is the slice of humanity that you understand better than anyone? And like, please tell me (laughs) all about it. And I I completely agree. Like being in college, like, you know, I went from Mesa, Arizona, which Mm -hmm. has been called like the most conservative city in America. Mesa (laughs) is wow. I mean, I've heard this, but it's, it's very Mormon and it's, I mean, it's my high school is like 40% Mormon and yeah, crazy. And then I went to Denton, Texas, which is, uh, there's a lot of counterculture there and Mm -hmm. it didn't, it didn't scare me 
at all, I was like, I'm in heaven. Like just <laughs> right. seeing like these, you know, my pe people, my age who just had completely different interests, completely different experiences. Like I remember taking my first ethnomusicology class and just being like, I just had no idea. Like, <laughs> I mean, right. it, just the world is so like delicious and big. Mm -hmm. So um, what does it mean to you to like, um, what did you say? Like document culture, like documenting <clears throat> culture, like what, like, why do you care about that? Like, what does it mean? Why does it matter? Ooh, yeah, yeah. It matters for a few reasons. Uh, one, because I, I know, at least from my perspective, you know, um, inner city urban culture moves and changes so fast. Right. And that's something I think people don't really realize, you know, the generations are short and the culture changes so rapidly that if we're not documenting it and, you know, covering it, taking photographs, talking to artists, talking to practitioners, really covering the culture, you know, the important nuances could totally slip away. Right. I think that's just true. Yeah. But also, um, I think uh, beyond that, just I think there's so much that we can learn about people from an individual to a cultural level by, you know, studying and documenting their artistic yeah. and cultural practices. In some ways, you can learn more than like that direct um, sociological observation, right? If you go through the art, people feel very free when they're making art and when they're just, you know, doing different kinds of cultural practices, right? Yeah. You know, you're not as self-conscious as you often are in other kind of spaces, right. right? You have this open palette for you to create and share and think and, and all these different things. And I think, you know, art reveals so much. And that's why I think it needs to be documented and explored and studied because of what it can reveal about the human condition. Yeah. And art in general is just awesome, right? I mean, I think, you know, art more. for art's sake is like, I mean, I was talking to my students about that. It's like a lost concept in our like popular culture where everything needs to be monetized and and broken down and everything. But art in itself just needs to be documented and preserved and studied and shared because it's cool. I'm so I'm, that. I'm so there with you. Like I was I, I my therapist is a really cool guy and he's mm -hmm. uh he'll go on these art like I'll be like, I just listen, Stefan, I have to talk about art today you know, whatever, <laughs> got to talk about art things. Mm -hmm. And I feel the same way. It's like art is this kind of magical thing that like teaches it. It allows us to like see someone in like this intimate way that yes. you could get there another way, but it would be so circuitous. And like, yep. in, instead you can get like right at it. Um, and it's, it's, it's a deeply powerful, um, mechanism for like, uh, uh, understanding each other for kind of synthesizing the past for synthesizing like our feelings about the future, our hopes, our fears. Um, yeah. So I, I really agree. Like this idea of like not wanting to miss a cultural moment, like, yeah. um, but, but why do you care about that? Like, I mean, so mm -hmm. you said it's cool, but yeah. can you give me like any specific examples like that maybe are kind of that, that deeper meaning or like, you know, this kind of deeper, like what are the systems that we're operating in? Like oh, that, yeah. That kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can, you know, just take the uh, the car culture, the slab culture that I uh, have been studying for well, over 10 years now. Um, you know, that is a cultural practice that, that emerged in the early 1980s. And by the time I started working with it, it had been around for like 35 years, but it went virtually unrecognized, underexplored, just kind of ignored within Houston itself, mm -hmm. right? But, you know, but if we, want, if we want to talk about something that's so true to 
the cultural place of Houston, right? And so creative and an example of people making something out of nothing. It is slab culture. What but is that, it? Well, I don't, oh, yeah, I don't of know course. what it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. So slab is a, it's a, how do I describe it? There's a, like a academic way I do it. But I think slab is a, an artistic car practice where uh, people, individuals take these beat up old, disheveled uh, American cars, right? So we're talking like Cadillacs and Lincolns, these big, you know, cars, right? Mm -hmm. They take them when they're beat up and they transform them into something that's things that are so beautiful and and beautiful to look at, but also deeply cultural. Mm -hmm. So there's many different similar practices around the country, right? But slab itself is a unique one that's based in Houston, came out of Houston. It is unique because of the rims that uh, the folks put on the cars, these cone-like cool. rims, right? And even that history, th- those rims have their own deep history in itself, right? That it. you would miss if you weren't studying it, right? right. So, um, yeah, and it's been around for 40 years. Uh, became connected to the local hip-hop scene there. And so hi- mm. hip-hop in Houston is both, you know, this musical thing, right? But it's also a automotive practice, right? Cool, cool. And so, again, that unique uh the unique meshing of uh, artistic practices in itself is something that's worthy of being yeah. cultured or studied excuse me yeah. do you feel like it's interesting to you because it's just like so unique like is the uniqueness just like that's enough is that yeah the uniqueness and also the fact that it's a product of again you know these mostly young men who and, you know, this is this is was always evident to me. Right. It's a product of these young men who are marginalized from society, um, denied uh, access to jobs and education and everything that, you know, people could use to uplift themselves. Right. And, you know, because of that, they had to hit the streets in various kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. But in doing that, they created this magnificent, beautiful culture that has stood the test of time and that they've passed down to their their kids and who and now the kids are passing it down to their kids, right? Yeah. And so out of that out of that mud, right, out of that that struggle in some ways came this beautiful yeah. thing, right? And so that's what I'm attracted yeah. to, right? This is maybe like kind of a leading question, but yeah. it, does it feel to you like if if I can describe to like someone else this cool thing, they'll mm-hmm. they'll see they'll value this person in a different yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. In many ways, yeah. That's kind of the the philosophy yeah. behind much of my work. It's not you know, it's it's that right. It, it's it's making you know people aware of the humanity of these folks. But even more than that, it's making the folks that I'm working with and the community itself aware of their own beauty. And yeah. I think that's my like might be my primary purpose mm-hmm. here is to say, hey, like, look, you know, here's what society says about you. Right. Yeah. All these terrible things. But look at actually look at yourself. You're that's, beautiful. That's incredible. And it's your art that I can use to show you how beautiful you are. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Let me show you how beautiful you are yeah. using what you made. That's just yeah. like right. it's like be a mirror. You yes. want to kind of like be a mirror. Yeah, I love absolutely. that. That's so beautiful. And that's just, it's, it's radical. It's, it's really cool. <laughs> um, what was it like? So when you were in college, mm-hmm. like, did you get any like pushback about, you know, not studying like something else, like within ethnomusicology, like did anybody mm. in your program, like <clears throat> feel like, like, was there, 
you know, like, was there racism yeah. like in that or, or <sighs> anything like that? You know what? No, I, cool. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say that, you know, that program, uh, the ethnomusicology program at Indiana and folklore program, they're in the same department, is full of supportive people. Um, you know, Good. my dissertation chairs were deeply, deeply supportive That's awesome. to this day, right? So I, I really got nothing but support Good. from people there, and they recognized the importance of what I was trying to do. So, Good. no, I can't complain at that. You didn't have to push back, and yeah, that's great. No, I know that's no. something that a lot of like, you know, art institutions can be yeah. like bad stewards of these kinds of things sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. So that's why I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that. I mean, even yeah. just like uh, I used to teach for a little mm -hmm. while. I taught at BYU, Brigham Young mm -hmm. University yeah. in, in Provo. And just like the the pushback that there was of even just documenting or, or spending any time at all with modern you know, with pop music, yeah, sure. with, with even Broadway, you know, just anything that yeah. wasn't choir and symphony, um, yeah. kind of sh surprising to me. So <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I guess in retrospect, it shouldn't have been that surprising to me, but <laughs> nevertheless it was. So yeah. Right. So I'm glad to hear that, that you just had support. So tell me like how your career has evolved, like since finishing your degree, mm -hmm. or do you want to talk about your specific <clears throat> like dissertation? Like, um, I don't want to miss anything. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I can talk about how the careers uh, evolved. Um, so yeah, I, while I was in grad school, you know, I, for the first few years there, I was studying to firmly be an academic, you know, my idea was that I would get this PhD at some point and then go off, get some, uh, very cool tenure track job at some university. And that was going to be that. But, uh, at some point, uh, during my grad school years, I became interested in working in the public sector and doing um, doing what I don't know, but I just knew that like I I had an interest in working in the nonprofit, you know, state government, even national government kind of space, doing this work. Cool. And so I was able to get an internship or fellowship down in Houston, uh, working with uh, the Houston Arts Alliance, which was the like arts funder of the city, and then this new museum called the Houston Museum of African American Culture, who was a, which was an African American focused museum. Cool. And so in that space, I was able to do some public work. I uh, did field work uh, in the city, working with the African diaspora communities, documenting their uh, musical practices, their dress practices and other things. And, you know, I use that work to produce two public programs there. And wow. like I was like, whoa, this this is awesome. Like, Tell me about them. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So it was so long ago, but I worked with the Ethiopian. Ethiopian community down there to wow. um, study their dress and adornment practices. So that involved me just hanging out at their houses and and they would show me the different dresses that they would hand make and wow. and the different kind of functions and uh, spaces where they would use those particular garments and they fed me and it was just a, it was cool. It was wow. fun work to do. And then, yeah, we had like this sort of uh, educational cultural fashion show. Right. Wow. And so I was able to co-produce that. And that was that was super awesome. And I did another program on religious music featuring, you know, gospel from the African-American standpoint, but also Nigerian and Cameroonian uh, music cool. as well. And so I was, was like, well, this is this is cool, you know, because I wanted at the time to be an academic. But I did not like school. Like I, I never I never liked school, you know. And so I realized at that point, like, oh, I can 
continue to engage with the traditional arts and folklore and ethno in this more public oriented yeah. space where I can actually work with people. Yeah. And so I thought that was awesome. So, you know, after I graduated, I was able to get a job. My first job was not at all with folklore or ethnomusicology. It was with um, an organization called Humanities Tennessee, which was just a public humanities organization. And I was doing youth programming. So I directed a writing workshop for kids wow. or yeah, or teenagers. Let me say that. And also work with a, a book festival. Mm, but and cool. that was like deeply awesome for me because that one of those workshops was in um, East Tennessee in the Appalachian region. And I was like far out of my comfort zone yeah. with folks who, you know, stereotypically, you know, might have an issue with me. Right. But it wasn't all like that. It was like one of the most mm -hmm. deeply impactful, fulfilling things I've ever done in my career. And those kids were coming from all kinds of different kinds of struggles, right? Yeah. You know, in terms of, you know, the, the drug crisis out there and then issues um, of identity and homophobia and, and all of that, right? Yeah. Transphobia. And wow. we were able to give them a space, you know, to be free, right? Yeah. You know, their writing talents and their creativity, you know, allowed them, at least in that space, to freely express themselves. Wow. And that was super awesome. That's really cool. So I... Yeah, it was super cool. Did, yeah. um, I've been thinking a lot lately. I, I'm turning 35 this year, mm -hmm. and I, I think a lot about, like, I don't know. I'm really interested in human development, which is, like, yeah. why I like to ask <clears throat> about a childhood and teen yeah. years and, you know, just with, like, brain development and mm -hmm. phases of life. And so I, I'm really aware of how young I am. Like, I think a lot <laughs> about, like, 35 years has felt like this and, like, hopefully and, like, you know, in all likelihood, there's another 35 yeah. and more, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I'm always kind of trying to reflect in real time, like, what are we learning? Like what's going on here? And lately I've been thinking a lot about creativity and just like what it means. And especially if you're an artist, if you're an artistic person, if you're a creative person, but you're not making like, yeah. like the things that you are making are like these big, like these big uh, organizations, mm -hmm. these like big events, um, does that feel like artistically fulfilling to you or like, are you, do you feel like that's kind of like, this is my medium in some ways? Yeah, it's, <clears throat> you know, it's a, it's a push and pull, you know, it depends on the day. I think in general, yeah, I feel like I've been able to throughout my career in every space I've been in, I've been able to be creative and I've been given that space to just create things, you know, not necessarily things that people automatically think are, are, are yeah. artistic. Right? right. But I've been able to create and that's been awesome. Of course, you know, there are other moments where I want to, you know, dedicate my time to just writing. Right. And writing um, both creative nonfiction and also fiction. You know, yeah. there's that part of me, too. But I do largely feel uh, creatively fulfilled. I, I think I feel good about the things that I'm able to do in part because I'm able to create things that touch people directly. And I get to go out there and see the smiles and, 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 and the, I can see the purpose yeah. and impact of my work on people's faces directly. And that's been awesome. That's really cool. It's almost like one of your mediums like is people like just, yeah, social movement. Um, yeah. do you feel like you're, do you feel like you're looking for a certain type of project or like a certain <laughs> type of like tension? Like, mm. uh, you know, if I'm thinking about like the Ethiopian community yeah. in Houston and then 
gospel music and then yeah. in Tennessee, like, is, is there a through, is there a, is there a through line for you? Yeah. Yes. I think there, there's, you know, in any space you step into, you know, especially in, in the United States and all these major cities that I've, you know, been able to live in, you know, there's this very, and you kind of talked about this, like this seemingly homogenous, singular, mainstream culture, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the cultural narr- narrative of the space is dominated by like a handful of groups of people, right? And then there's everybody else, yeah. you know, who are who are just living on their own, building within themselves, creating within themselves, but, you know, for are largely outside of that cultural narrative and that cultural fabric. So I'm just always attracted right. to those people. The outsiders. You always said this. Like, yeah. The outsiders, yeah. yeah. Always. And, you know, outsider looks different depending on the space, right? But that's what I'm always attracted to. Right. So in Tennessee, right, even... After I left uh, the humanities organization, I began working as a folklorist with the Tennessee Arts Commission. And, you know, I was able to, in that space, just go out throughout Tennessee in these strange little hollers, these strange little spaces and document people's culture and but also give them money to continue to um, produce their culture and to share it out. And so, yeah, I mean, whether it's, you know the basket maker from some small town in Tennessee or it's a Tejano artist or it's hip hop artist, you know, I felt like all those people were left out of this narrative and I was able to not bring them into it. Right. But on their own, right. In their own spaces, able to say, Hey, you know, we at the state, we who are part of the mainstream support what you do. Right. So here's me documenting it and sharing it out. And here's me giving you money to continue to produce it. And so, yeah, you're like, you're kind of out like looking for magic, like looking for like, looking for like brilliance, looking for like just anything. Brilliance in packages that we don't always think are brilliant. I think that's just kind of what I look for. Gosh, I really get that. Like it's, you know, you can see, I talk about this all the time, like just this paradigm shifting and like, you know, show me the rubric with which to understand (laughs) this thing. And I think sometimes you need like a translator. Like sometimes you need a person to be like, here's how you do this. I think so. So that's, that's really cool. This, I, this thing you said before, like, uh, how did you put it? Like, you know, an outsider is different depending mm-hmm. on like how you're looking at, yeah. you know, what the inside is. You said mm-hmm. it so much better than that. But, I think that worked. But uh, thanks. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But uh, do you feel like that's like, do you feel like that's like the crux is to like, like find, find an outsider and then maybe like say like, this is why it's valuable. And also like, here's how we connect it to like something else or. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there are certainly universals in our life. You know, there are many, many different ways that we all are connected to each other. And there are many different points where our cultures are very similar. Right. And so with anything that I, you know, study or with any community I work with, there are absolutely ways that I can make, you know, anybody interested, I feel in that, uh, that culture and that community, right? If they're open to it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and sometimes it is about saying, Hey, you know, this, uh, strange little cultural package over here, right. Um, reflects, you know, people's needs and hopes and different things. And I think any community can connect with that. Yeah, right. Totally. But at the same time, you know, I'm, I just love uniqueness. I love, you know, um, insularity, I love when, you know, people are just out there 
in communities out there just doing their own thing and not even aware that there's a mainstream out there that doesn't even pay attention to them. Yeah, I just love cool. that as well. And so I, I come from both of those standpoints. Yeah, no, that's fine. Hu- humans are humans are fascinating. Like yes. there's not like I, I also just feel like I, I could never know enough. I could never know enough yeah. about about people, how they're figuring stuff out, how people are interacting with their environments. Like it's just I don't know. It's we're a very fascinating animal or fascinating Absolutely. species. Um, <laughs> let's talk about your writing. So I'd okay. love to hear about the creative nonfiction and what that means to you. And then like what subjects you like, what you're writing about and also your fiction. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, let me say that the fiction is, you know, something I've been I wish I've been able to dedicate more time to. But now, you know, my more flexible schedule, I think I have time to pursue it a bit yeah, more. Do it but, now. you know, again, yeah, you know, I, I need to. And my wife tells me that all the time is just, you know, I think because I've put so much, you know, time and energy into um, academic work and scholarship and, you know, nonfiction stuff it is it's just going to require a different type of focus for me, yeah. which, you know, I want to do it. Yeah. You know? um, Life is long. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, hopefully, yeah. right. hopefully. hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um. As far as we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, my first book is coming out uh, in August. Um, was, uh, what is the title now? Uh, it's changed. Welcome is to that, Houston. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. And that's creative nonfiction. Yeah, you know, it's scholarship creative nonfiction. Okay. You know, it depends on how you want to, um, you know, look at it. Uh, but it's based on, you know, my years and years of field work down in Houston, um, mm. studying hip hop music and also studying the car culture. And, mm. and, and yeah, it's Welcome to Houston hip hop heritage in hustle town. Cool. Um, so yeah, I looked at hip hop and how it represents place and how, you know, people, uh, inscribe their music with their love of their hometown and love their neighborhoods and all these different things. And then the car culture is part of that as well. And so it's been my life's work at least for the last 10 years. And that's finally coming out August 1st. And I'm really looking forward to that in part because, you know, I'm able to cap, that research and that part of my life, because I think everything I've done has been in part defined by that. And, you know, I think right now I'm just, uh, looking for that next thing. Um, I think the next project is going to be something non-musical, but something that continues to engage, you know, cultural practices within black America. You know, I'm interested in, you know, what we call occupational folk life, right? Mm -hmm. So the folklore of work, Right. And what, you know, and and how black people turn their occupational lives into into something creative. Right. And so I'm looking into documenting and writing about that as well. So you elaborate on that. Yeah. I'll I'll try. Um, So, yeah, I mean, occupational folk life, it's a uh, it's a it's its own kind of uh, area of study within folklore studies. Right. But the the crux of it is that, you know, one, you know, different occupations are traditional in, in that the knowledge about these works have been passed down from generation to generation. And in that passing down and in that practice, there's deep cultural meaning that you can get out of that, right? And so a mechanic, right, you know, who we don't think of as a creative and we don't think of mechanic work as traditional, but it is, you know, yeah. most of those guys, yeah, some of them go to like formal school, but a lot of them get their knowledge from people who've done this before them, right? It makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. And so in studying that, I think we can reveal a lot about that person's life, but also uh, the community through which they come from. Yeah. So that's kind of what 
I'm looking at next. And, you know, obviously, though, I'll continue my musical studies in some form, but I'm trying to yeah. figure all that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, I, I think I understand what you're saying. It's like mm-hmm. what I was trying to say before. Is there mm-hmm. like is there like a flavor of a thing you're looking for? And I, oh. I feel like it's like a I feel like maybe your 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 gift is like seeing the kind of beauty and interest in places where like it's hard for other people to see it. Yeah. And I go in kind of open too, and I think that's where I am now. So I, I think I'm just looking at, Hey, you know, I'm interested in mechanics. Yeah. I'm just going to go see what's going on there, you know, or yeah. Or I'm interested in, you know, commercial fishermen. So let me go see what going on there. I have no like deeper understanding of anything at this point. I just want to see what's going on and see what I can pull out of it. Yeah. I love it. I have, I'm, I, I like, I try not to talk too much on the podcast about interviews I have scheduled in case they like something happens, but (laughs) I have an interview scheduled with this woman who I'm, I'm so excited about. She's based in Moscow. She's Russian and she makes, um, she makes visual art out of mold. She yeah. like injects mold into like, and I just feel like, oh my gosh, like what? Tell me everything yeah. <laughs> about that. Like, how do you get into like mold art? Like, right, but I think right. maybe I have like a little bit of the same condition that you have. <laughs> just like, <laughs> like, I just assume, I think I kind of like assume that everything is interesting and it's just a matter of like how, like, I feel like I'm like yeah. in there, like I, you know, when you see like in crime shows, like the pin board with all the strings, like, I feel like I'm kind of always doing that too. <laughs> oh, sure, like, sure, sure. Sounds like you're doing some of that too. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, I spent a few years in, in Seattle, Washington and Washington state, you know, as a state folklorist there. Was and that after Tennessee or was there? Yeah, oh, oh yeah. That was, yeah, that was directly after Tennessee. Okay. So I, I moved to Seattle early 2019 to, be the like official, semi-official state folklorist. Cool. And, um, and that was, that was fun. That was fun for the most part. Obviously it was much of it was during the pandemic. So it changed the nature of the work quite a bit. Um, but you know, there I was responsible for working with any and everybody, right. To help uh, celebrate and preserve their traditions. And, you know, a lot of those practices I didn't have like a personal connection to, and I didn't have like a deep, kind of visceral interest in, but all of them, right, were deeply meaningful and deeply rich. And so I just mm-hmm. think there's meaning. I think that taught me, and I, I think I already knew this, but there's meaning everywhere. And yeah. anything that we do and anything that people do, you can find meaning. And so, it's again, I just go in. Look. You yeah. got to know how to look. You, and yeah. you got to know how to talk to people and you yeah. got to know how to make connections on your own. And that's just kind of how I handle it. I just go into spaces and I know there's something there. I don't know what yet, but I'm open. My ears are open, my eyes are open, and I'm here. What were, like, some of the, like, subcultures that you, like, examined in in Mm -hmm. Seattle or in Washington? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so many. (laughs) Yeah, where to to start? What are some of the more more interesting ones? Well, I I, I don't want to talk about it. I've listened to some of your other episodes. But I know um, you might have talked to a Carnatic dancer, I I think, or Indian dancer. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, so. we had, I worked with several, uh, dancers, Indian dancers. Um, cool. I think the Indian community were a big part of my work. Mm. Um, not just from dance, but you know, I, I worked with, uh, a woman who was preserving this very rare painting tradition that went back to antiquity. And she was like the only person in the United States preserving this culture. Crazy. And I just, yeah, it was just so awesome. So there's that. I mean, I got to work with hip hop artists there. Cool. Um, 
foragers. I didn't even know it was really a thing. People who were out there. Yeah, there you go. Right. Um, uh, or fiber artists who were, you know, working with like natural dyes that they were pulling from oh the various flowers that they were pulling from the ground. Langston, I need so your, I need awesome. your, I need your contacts list. Oh, I, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Because all these people are super, super interesting and yeah. coming. Oh, and of course, you know, in Washington State, you know, there were twenty-seven federally recognized uh, Native American tribes. Wow. So we're doing so many, so much work with those different communities. You know, whether it be uh, basket making or bead work or instruments or or yeah. anything, right? So so much, so much culture there That's in Washington so State. Cool. Yeah. People are so fascinating. Absolutely. What has it felt like to do more like folk life and folklore studies mm-hmm. in like non-black communities? Since that's, <laughs> that's kind of yeah. where you started. Like how did how does yeah, that feel? That's a that's a great question. Um, <laughs> because it's it's um it's great actually because I, yeah like I mentioned before I just think there's so many things that connect us. And the things that, you know, aren't, don't connect us, the, the differences are beautiful as well, right? I think you need both. Yeah. And so it, it's been fun. And I think, you know, there are some ways that, you know, not being uh, or, or being not white, right, can limit you as a folklorist. Um, you know, historically, you know, folklore studies has been grounded in whiteness, right? And, you know, in Tennessee, there might be certain communities that I couldn't step into. Yeah. And in Washington State, that was true as well. Yeah. But I guess, you know, my thing is, if I can't go there, then I just don't, I'm not going to work with it. Yeah. And, and yeah that's fine. You that know, is it's okay. one thing, like, seeing mm-hmm. folklore on your bio, I thought, like, I mean, it. I also yeah. have this feeling that folklore is very white. Like it just feels mm-hmm. like a white thing, um, which yeah. I mean, I, I'm certain I'm completely ignorant about so many things about it. But yeah, that's. I mean, I. I guess I feel like it's just cool that you're in that space. Like, I don't know, yeah, taking claim I on do. it. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I do too. And, you know, let me say there is uh, 50 state folklorists now and cool. very, very, very few people of color. So uh, mm-hmm. working in those positions. So I was one of a handful, maybe less than a handful. But, you know, I do think being a person of color, being a black person allowed me to get different kinds of information mm-hmm. from uh, these various practitioners than a white person would get. Because mm-hmm. I do think no matter what space I stepped into, there was this shared kind of we're connection. Outsiders, maybe. Yeah, we're outsiders. Yeah. Like, and you understand certain things. You understand how I feel about certain things, and I'm willing to open up to you yeah. and share this because I trust you on a very deep kind of level. So, that from that angle, sense. it was super, super awesome. I felt like I, 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 it was in those spaces where I really felt the term person of color the strongest because I felt like, yeah, there's this shared understanding here. Right. And so it was actually pretty cool. Ultimately. That makes perfect sense. And also like, I mean, I'm so glad that you're, that you're doing that work. That's, it's (laughs) really important and it's really cool. So, um, you're in Wisconsin now. I am in Wisconsin and anywhere between Seattle and Wisconsin or Oh, no, no, just I left Seattle a few months ago. So are are. you still serving on like that board in Seattle? Oh, no, no, no. I uh, left that job to come over here. Okay. And uh, what what are you doing now? I am. uh, What is my title? I am assistant professor of folklore and African-American studies at the University of Wisconsin. That's what I do. Is this your first teaching job? Uh, My first um, 
full time teaching yeah. job. I, I've taught. Oh yeah, I mean, I taught. Uh, I taught in a prison. Uh, wow. A couple of years ago, I forgot about that. Yeah, so I did that and taught at Indiana a little bit, but this is my first full time job. Cool. Tell me, like, what is it like? What is it like being a professor? Like, what is your experience like teaching artists, teaching non-artists? What is it like? Yeah, it's 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 been a learning experience. Let me say that. Um, I don't even know what it's like. I it's it's, you know, as someone who doesn't like school, uh, it's it's. I've been more nervous for about this job than any other job I've ever had, you know, Mm -hmm. just because, you know, I'm responsible now for teaching students, students who may be like me, who didn't like school, you know, and then I'm uh, not just that I'm teaching uh, African-American folk life and I also teach a hip hop course. Mm. And you just never know, you know, how those are going to go. You never yeah. know, like the political landscape and who's going to come with what, you know, but I will say teaching has actually actually been like the best part of the job so far because the students have been so awesome and so willing to engage any issue that I bring before them and engage in them in really deeply, genuine, honest yeah. ways. Even when there's disagreement, right? Everyone is disagreeing in a very like beautiful way. I and I it. just love it. So from that standpoint, you know, being a professor has been awesome. I feel yeah. so the same way about it. I take it really seriously and it yeah. feels like very rich to me. Yes. Um, yeah. I think a lot about like, capitalism and the mm-hmm. ways in which like academia is so kind of colonialist and it, it can be elitist in these really ugly ways. Right. And I try, I try to think really hard about like what I can do to subvert that and to kind of teach uh, curiosity and to teach right. like the teach these skills of like, Hey, put a different lens on it. And like, you can come away with the beliefs that you have, but like at least mm-hmm. learn how to like try on other beliefs and at Absolutely. least, at least learn how to like just change your lens. And, um, I don't know more and more. I kind of feel like academia, especially in the kinds of subjects that you and I are in yes, is just becoming more of like a cultural endeavor than yeah. like a educational endeavor almost or something. I could see that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's it it feels important and it feels kind of like we're on the cusp of something. I don't know. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk more about like I'd love to just know kind of like what are you what are you thinking about lately? Like what are you interested in right now? What are the topics? And it doesn't have to be like art related, just like anything you want to talk about of like Oh. Just what are you passionate about? What problems are you thinking about like wanting to solve or kind of get at? Just like what's, yeah, what's going on in yeah. your mind and your heart. I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, and I'm having to think about these things because I'm like kind of having to solidify like my yeah. research and fieldwork plans going yeah. forward. But I'm interested in a few things. You know, I'm 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 very interested in African-American space and place um, in this country and, and really interested in the concept of the neighborhood. Right. And what mm-hmm. that means. Um, for black America, especially in the face of intense gentrification, where these traditional neighborhoods are being broken up, you know, the neighborhood that fed so much into me growing up, right, that, that really laid the foundations for everything I do now, right? It's still, it's, it's kind of protected. It's still firmly intact, right? But mm-hmm. other places that I've uh, connected with, you know, the areas where my parents are from, all of those are under attack, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm um, really looking at now, you know, how 
folk life and folklore and music, you know, as well, right, can serve to maintain cultural bonds between Black people in these neighborhoods in the face of gentrification, right? How do they maintain community, you know, in these neighborhoods that are increasingly being, you know, broken up and people are moving all over the place or being displaced, right? Mm. But how do they maintain connections through these folk practices? That's kind of what I'm looking at. And, you know, it's it's a it's a, it's scholarship, but also it's also a personal interest yeah. for me again because I think these black neighborhoods, even though many of them are underfunded, that have many problems, and people outside of them look at them as these cultural like you know these just a cultural problem, right? Mm. It's so they're so full of meaning, they're so full of life, and they're so creative in very natural ways, like yeah. the language, the relationships, right? The dress practices, yeah. the music. All of it is so artistic. And so I think I want to do a deep dive into that's, a neighborhood to pull out kind of that stuff. So that's so cool. I I totally hear yeah. you. And like, I completely agree with this idea that like art is art is worth protecting, like just for its very mm-hmm. own sake and nothing else. But I'm imagining that just especially given kind of like the climate of this country right now, they're certainly like I have to imagine that you're contextualizing these things like in a bigger. Do you want to talk about like what you think it means like for black Americans, what it means for all Americans to protect these cultures? Like you can say anything you want. Oh, yeah, I, let me I'm, see. I'm a sick person. I'm not going to, like, disagree with you or, like, push back. Oh, on. no, I don't think there's anything to really yeah. disagree with because I think, you know, my, I don't know if this is not my thesis or whatever, but, uh, you know, I do think, um, you know, both the, you know, these places and spaces, right, and also the art forms or extensions of the self, right? And so I think, you know, yeah. oh, even if you're not conscious of it, right, that's how you, that's how it operates, right? Yeah. And so, you know, my initial book is about, you know, how, you know, these hip-hop artists replicate, you know, place through their music. But now what I'm trying to do is look at deeply how the neighborhood, right, becomes an extension of the self mm-hmm. and how the arts, you know, are both extensions of the individual self and then the cultural identity and how that all kind of works together, right? Yeah. And so, you know, protecting an art form, right, is a protection of an individual and a community, right? Yeah. You know, when you lose the art, you're not just losing art, right? You're losing people, yeah. right? You're, you're losing experience. And we don't think about it like that, but that's just, that's true. It's true. You know? yeah. yeah. It's it's capital T true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe, and I'm just kind of having this thought right now, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I remember being in college and really having black friends for the first time in my life yeah. and mm-hmm. hearing like the term white privilege for the first time and feeling mm-hmm. confused and feeling like I need to understand this better. And yeah. and one thing that like clicks for me a little bit is like when I think about, you know, the, the problem with like appropriation, mm. it's some of it at least. And, and I, like, I'm not an expert, but like okay. the, the divorcing of the thing from the person is like yeah. such a grievous error. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, if we lose the art, we kind of lose the person. If we like take the art away <clears throat> from the person, yes. we kind of lose the person. And yeah, I mean, so the broader implication being like, yeah, uh, non black Americans need to like, <laughs> pay more attention. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or at least be aware of that concept. Right. And, you know, again, I, 
you know, in my classes, we talk about appropriation a lot because it's just super relevant. Right. And, you know, I I try to make the point that, you know, I definitely am not one to say that non-black people shouldn't make black music or anything like that, because, again, you know, I many of my favorite rappers are white, you know, and I'm fine with that. (laughs) You know, that's okay. But, you know, it's important to understand and recognize and highlight and preserve where these musics come from. Because, again, you know, like you just articulated, they're deeply attached to black people's senses of self. Right. And, you know, a lot of our hopes and dreams and aspirations and histories and everything are baked into these musical practices. Right. And so... Oh, you can't just, they can't just be treated haphazardly, right? They have to be treated with, you know, they have to be treated with love and protection and acknowledgement that, you know, you know, these art forms are parts of ourself. And if you damage and disorient and displace the art form, you're doing cultural damage to black people. And so I think that just needs to be recognized as people are engaging however they want to engage. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, cultural damage to all of us like it's just yeah it's yeah it when you lose those precious things like this is what i was talking about with that that indian dancer um you know these there's wisdom in these practices that is kind of inscrutable sometimes like it's hard to pin it down but like the loss of that wisdom is like really has broad implications and you might not kind of know what they are until it's too late which is just a devastating thought. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, I mean, I think this concept is especially relevant within our Native American and tribal communities who, you know, you can draw deep direct connections, you know, from like health disparities and issues within those communities to the mm-hmm. loss of their traditional knowledges and practices. I mean, they will tell you this themselves, right? Yeah. And so I think this is also true for other communities and in general, us as a collective body of yeah. Americans or people of the world, you know, if we lose those bonds, we're doing damage to just our collective selves as well. So we need to be aware of that. Completely. And I think especially like moving into like an even more global future, like a future where like so much more is at stake, like with just our planet, like we need all of the wisdom that all of these cultures have to solve these problems. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it feels paramount. (laughs) Um, Do you want to talk any more? Is there anything else you want to say about like your experience as an artist and kind of like, you know, how you feel about like that identity, like what it means to you? Yeah, I I just think um, I have this deep uh, responsibility to, you know, represent uh, at least, you know, my African-American community in the right way and in a way um, of love, in a way that's just, in a way that, um, you know, centers you know, community needs and histories. I just feel that deep sense of responsibility. And sometimes that makes, you know, writing and creating a challenge because I just, I might over, um, what's the word? I'm overcritical of myself at times because I don't want to necessarily get the story right. I just don't want to do any harm, you know? And so I'm just constantly like checking myself. Um, And and that's very real because the book that's coming out is full of these intimate stories about relationships and people and, you know, and there's, there's these relationships that still exist. So I could, if I put out incorrect information, it could just do harm on yeah. a really micro level. And I'm just always aware of that. But beyond that, you know, like I mentioned before, I, I'm driven by inspiration. You know, I write in moments. I don't write consistently. Yeah. I don't create consistently. It's just when I feel the bug 
bug. I go hard at it, and um, that's just kind of how I. How, that's, how, that's how I am. How have you learned to like recognize that inspiration and kind of like trust your gut instinct about like where there's interest to be found? Yeah, I mean, I used to be better at it than I am now. Really? Uh, I think you know, yeah, I spend most of my life just going with like whatever my gut's telling me. That's where I go. go that's that's cool. where I go, and I dive into it. You know, yeah. um, I think, you know. That was easy to do, you know, when I was in school and throughout grad school because I had nothing but time, you know. Yeah. Uh, but since I've been working, especially in the public sector where, you know, I have nine to five hours, I just felt like I had limited time and space, right? Yeah. So I had to, you know, use it wide, you know, wisely. And so that kind of structured my thinking. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm happy to have a much more flexible lifestyle now as an academic because I can just go wherever. So I just go with it. Now. Cool. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. I think about these things a lot too. Like I'm an artist, but I'm a professor and I, yeah. I, one of my jobs is like, I run a wedding band. It's like, you know, I do mm -hmm. freelance and I'm an adjunct. So I only teach, yeah. I teach like eight hours a week. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. but, uh, I really try to think like, in, instead of thinking like making time for art, whoops, mm -hmm. which I still, <laughs> I still try to do, you know, obviously yeah. like I, I just released a new album recently oh, yeah. and I think a lot about, um, you know, visual art or like kind of writing. But more than that, I really just try to think like, how can I make my everyday life as artful as possible? Like, I like that. how can I do art in the classroom? How can I make art like in the wedding band? You know, like yeah. how can I find these, like everything is research. Everything is like an opportunity to create something, um, yeah. you know, looking for, like, I, I think I mentioned to you, I just had this like really kind of terrible knee injury. Did I mm -hmm. tell you about it? I saw some pictures yeah. and I think you mentioned it. Yeah. It's been gnarly, man. It's been yeah. like, it's been kind of life changing, but like oh. I'm in physical therapy, um, yeah. you know, six hours a week. And I have this kind of incredible opportunity to have this like very intimate time with people that I'd have no other reason to know. Right. And just really trying to think about that in like a, a wholehearted, like curious kind of way. Like, what does it mean to like create these like little relationships? Like, can, can I affect like the lives of the people that I meet here? Can I let them like affect my life? You know, just this beautiful, weird combination yeah. of like injured people, elderly people, really young, like physical therapy technicians, you know, right. it's just like an interesting anyway. So just kind of trying to think like, like where that. is there, where is there art and creativity to be found in the mundane? It's kind of where I'm at yeah. lately. Oh, that's cool. That's real cool. You know, you gotta just, you gotta just do what you do. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm trying I to hold know. on to that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, what, anything else you want to talk about? Like, is there anything else you feel is kind of like unsaid about art, art identity, just identity in general? Anything you feel like just in this platform you want to say about and anything, yeah. like anything left uh -huh. on, on your heart? Wow. I don't know. I feel like I've shared so much uh, stuff that I don't normally even talk about. Good. I love it. Um, but no, I think, uh, yeah, no, this is uh, giving me a platform to really even think through some ideas for the future. So no, I, I think I'm just grateful. That's this, the space I'm in right now. Thank you. This is, this is my favorite thing about doing this podcast. Like there's nothing I love more than my guests being like, I haven't thought about that. Like, yeah. you know, about their own yeah. selves. Like it's, it's my favorite, maybe like, okay, I have, mm -hmm. I have like kind of maybe one more question and then That's I fine. have two yeah. little wrap ups. All good. Um, can, what, what is like a subculture? It could be recently or, you know, that you think like nobody knows about this and this is so cool. Like some, like just kind of a, a fresh one on your mind. Ooh, 
That's a great Or you could say a couple. Question. Just give people oh, like man. a little taste. Hmm. Nobody knows about you know, it's hard because you know, with like YouTube and social media, everybody seems to know about everything. Mm-hmm. But I, I do as a couple. There's a couple. Yeah, tell me a few. I, I, I think that uh, and this is just, you know, kind of micro for me, but you know, so much of um, black culture is rooted in Protestant religion, right? Yeah. And so, you know, Baptist and all, you know, which, which is great. Like, I, that's what, you know, the musical foundations for a lot of our music comes from there, and that's awesome. But again, you know, with I have a Catholic background, and those spaces for me were just as cultural, like culturally rich and musical as well. And so, in the church grounds, we'd be listening to blues and Zydeco and all these different music musical forms, right? Yeah. And I just think that people don't really realize that. I'm not like a scholar of religion, right? But I think I just think when I think back on it and I think about it now, it's such a deeply rich cultural space that people just aren't aware of, especially from a musical standpoint. Cool. But also, you know, I think, uh, I don't know, I'm just, I'm interested in uh, black automotive and movement culture. Cool. And so, you know, obviously the slap stuff I did in Houston, but there's this awesome dirt bike, four-wheeler culture in Baltimore cool. um, among black youth. Um, there's been a couple of films about it, but I just didn't think it gets enough attention because it's so culturally rich and interesting in the way that they use motorbikes and dirt bikes to build community in this deeply impoverished area. Yeah. It's just interesting to see. Yeah. yeah. Are you interested in like uh, working with filmmakers? Like, are you interested in docu- document documentaries? Uh, yeah, I would. I would love to do that. I mean, cool. I was. Uh, yeah, I got a little taste of something. I was in like an episode of a TV show a few years ago, um, and then like when Anthony Bourdain did his Houston episode, I was able to help them out, cool. connect them with certain folks. So I'd love to do more of that. You know, um, awesome. I'd love to like again do more. Or just open exploration of different cultures and communities in this country and, and maybe, maybe share them through documentary or film or television or something like that. So yeah, cool. absolutely. I think yeah. we've probably already talked about this, but just in case, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I love about doing these interviews is like, you know, I, I, I kind of have learned to follow my gut of like who I think is going to like just have beautiful things to say. But <laughs> one of the things that I'm really interested in and that I like to kind of get at with my guests is like, what do you feel like are the, like, what, what are the things that you feel like you understand about people or art, um, that kind of like, you know, better than like probably anybody is like, are there any things that you feel like you just like understand about people that are like your little key? Could be broad. Yeah. Ooh, that's I heavy. know. That's I know heavy. you've got some because you've <laughs> st- you've met and spent intimate time with so many kinds of people. Yeah, that. Yeah, I think the the thing that I like to emphasize is that you know people can be and are contradictory in nature, and I feel like we're in er- we're like living in an era of like this you know ideological philosophical purity where you know if you project yourself as one thing you got to be all of that right but that's just not the nature of life and you know it's just people are so complex and so contradictory and that's just natural and you know we have to look at people as individuals right and recognize that you know 
that contradictory that those contradictions are just fundamental parts of the self you know and we can explore that we can we can grapple with it we can do whatever but we need to acknowledge and start from that space and that's that's a way to build towards a better future if we recognize that people are flawed you know it sounds so simple but i just feel like that idea is being lost today you know i really just want to emphasize that i really agree with you and that's Mm. that's a beautiful thing to to leave on it's you know, what do they say? Like people are hard to hate up close. Yes, like it's, there we go. it's yeah. easy to yeah. hate an ideology or to feel, yep. you know, I mean, and of course there are people who are dangerous and violent. Um, yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know, a lot of the time, like people are really, really easy to love up close and yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard work to do, but to just kind of think like, what is incredible about you? I've got to know. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's kind of like a practice, I think. Like, right. yeah. Okay. Um, if there's, if there's nothing else, I always ask people two mm-hmm. questions at the end. Okay. One is on this day, what is your dream collaboration? And it could be, it could be huge. It could be like a collaboration with a community. It could be a movie. It could be anything you want. Oh goodness. I have to think about, yeah, everybody does. Second. And it's like, I, I really kind of just believe whatever comes into your mind right now is like the right answer for right now. <laughs> Dream collaboration. Um, oh, goodness. You know, my dream collaboration. I don't even, I don't know what this would look like. And I uh, don't know what it would be. But, you know, I just grew up as a fan of, uh, the rapper ice cube, yeah. uh, love this art, love this films and everything. And I just feel like I need to do something with him. I don't know what it is. You know, it could be his bio or I have no idea, Ooh, but I if I had any idea. sort of dream, that's what it would be. It, it would be, it would be him. Sounds yeah. like you need to reach out to his people. I feel like a bi- I feel like an ice cube bio. It's like, it's, it's time. It's time for it, right? It's it's necessary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and you know, again, a a deeply conflicted, contradictory, like complex guy. But I just think uh, he's he's just fascinating to me. So that's my dream collaboration, I I think. I love it. And finally, tell everybody where to find your work. Oh, yeah. You can go to, we just want to, you know, check me out. You can go to LangstonWilkins.com. I'm also trying to write more at streetfolk.org. Yeah. So check that out. I'm also on Twitter at streetfolklcw and on Instagram at streetfolk. Cool. So and what, when's the new book that's out? That's where I am. When's, when's your book coming out? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, welcome to... Uh, Welcome to Houston, Hip Hop Heritage in Hustletown is coming out on August 1st through University of Illinois Press. It'll be in the various bookstores. They're really pushing it. So uh, yeah, check that out on August 1st. I love it. This actually, this will probably be coming out like right around then. So I like to try to do the interviews. Like I do a whole season before I release any. And this is episode, episode one of season eight. So Whoa. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. (laughs) Well, Langston, thank you so much. I seriously, like, I have been like wanting to interview you for so long and just feeling like I got to wait for the right moment. Like just really, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I just, I really appreciate your time and your experience and your expertise. And it's great to know you better. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm honored to be asked to do this. I don't really think of myself in this way, you know, but I, 
you've given me a lot to think about and, and I'm re- my brain, my, like my brain is buzzing right now. Yay, so uh, I love I'm it. just deeply grateful and appreciative for the space to chat through these things. Thank you so much. Thanks. Um, we can, we can like say yeah. bye to the podcast and then uh, okay. chat for another minute if you want. Just wrap up. Okay, cool. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks yeah. Langston. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.